The Yak Legion Podcast and the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast are sponsored by the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. You can reach them at BuckeyeKayakFishingTrail.com. Strictly Sail in Blue Ash, Ohio. Reach out to Brian for all your Hobie needs at 513-984-1907. And American Tackle Company. You can find them at americantackle.us. Howdy, y'all. You're listening to the Yak Legion Podcast. I'm Zach Carell, and I'm here with Christian Highfield. How's it going tonight, Christian? Oh, pretty good, Zach. How are you doing? Oh, exhausted, man. I fished last four days. My body feels it. My legs are kind of sore from working that Mirage Drive and putting all the miles (laughs) in I've put in the last four days. And, man, it's been a rough spring. Um I've really struggled with fishing the last couple of days. Uh, right before um, we started fishing the Spring Fling, that's the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trails month-long event. Um, you know, I caught a big bass. That had me excited for the Spring Fling. I thought, hey, man, I figured out a bite, and, you know, maybe I'll do pretty good this year. And then since Spring Fling started, but it's been Skunksville, man. But I know you've had some success out there this year. Yeah, I've had a little bit so far. I know uh, we, we went out to Cowan Lake the other day. Uh, I caught a few to put up on the board and then uh, went out to a river spot today and caught a few smallmouth to uh, finish up my five fish limit. So now just working on upgrading a little bit. Yeah, I need to just pull out a limit. I'd be happy with the 12, 12 inch limit, you know, five, <laughs> 12 inch fish right now. Yeah. And uh, just be able to update, upgrade from there. But uh, I'm going out to Rocky Fork in the morning. Okay. So uh, I'm hoping I can figure out the bite. And it's which all this kind of led me to my next guest that we have on. We got Kurt Smith's on tonight. Um, he's no stranger to the Yak Legion podcast. He's, he's actually on here recently after his Lake Norman win at the Hobie BOS. And, uh, man, he's a real knowledgeable guy, and um, he's real helpful to the fishing community. He's done a lot of seminars. Um, he's done a lot of classes and, like, tips and information mm-hmm. on his YouTube channel and on Ohio Game Fishing Forum and on Facebook. Um, I mean, it's just the guy's a stick, and he knows bass. And he knows what they're doing year-round. He can figure it out. He can figure out the bite and be successful. So I figured we'd bring him on tonight and kind of talk about some early spring fishing. I know we just had Mike Elsie on last episode, and we kind of focused on muddy water spring fishing. But I think we'll just cover spring fishing in general. All right. Sounds good with me. Yes, sir. Now, Calvin, I I watched you pull out an 18-and-a-half. And yep. then he pulled out a fifteen. Uh, what did you catch? What did you catch those on? Well, I know so the answer, are, but our viewers yeah. don't. <laughs> yep, both of those were on a chartreuse and white uh, chatter bait, and surprisingly, they were up shallow. Um, they were both up on a windblown bank, and probably I think that was probably two to three foot of water, with a little bit of submerged structure in the water that they were hanging around, and it was yeah. like the warmest water in the lake. So I think all those things into play caused that uh, those two fish that I caught back-to-back to be right there in that spot. So that's what yeah. I'm guessing it is. But Yeah, it was submerged structure off of a point. And that's yeah. uh, a good area. I don't want to give away too many you know, details on the spot because we're still fishing yeah. the spring <laughs> fling. But uh, um, you pulled out a couple bass. Then you did pretty good on the river today, you said? Yep, we were fishing a uh, part of a river today off of, uh, what was it called? Oh, the uh, Stillwater River. That's what it is. It's my buddy spot that I went with him to, and uh, we pulled out quite a few smallmouth today. So that was definitely fun to do. Wow, man. I heard that they're actually starting to close down some of those boat ramps on some of our local rivers. Yeah, they are. Um, this is just like a smaller river, kind of like a mad river type thing here, like in town for me. 
So pretty much anywhere where your uh, the road goes over a bridge, you can just walk on down and get onto the river. And it's one of those type of systems that we did. So we just parked over by a bridge and uh, walked down and launched kayaks on the river. Oh, that's a great way to do it, man. No ramp needed, you know, but no. I think it's hard telling why they're closing these boat ramps. I think they're closing the ones on the rivers down because I guess rivers are more congested. They're more, um, yeah. they're, you know, they're not as wide as a lake. People can't spread out like you can at a lake. Um, yeah. So I'm thinking that's maybe the reason why they're closing it down. I mean, this coronavirus and stuff is crazy. Yeah, I know that they closed down, I think it was up in Fremont on the Mommy, just because the walleye run, and that there's people like side by side all the way down there. So that's probably why they closed down that, just to kind of keep people from staying side by side fishing. Well, I heard there's some, actually places around Cincinnati that are they're closing the ramps on the rivers. Oh, really? I saw it on I Facebook didn't... today. We'll have to look more into that, have some yeah. more information about that on the next episode. All right. Something I do have some information on right now is um, there's a couple charity fishing events going on that are they're kind of here to help out some people that are suffering from the coronavirus or families that are suffering from the mm-hmm. coronavirus and just kind of ray of sunshine and these dark times and mm-hmm. dark and uncertain times. The first one I noticed was Jackson Orr's Catch Assist COVID-19 uh, tournament, and that's the uh, family his whole organization catch, which is kayak anglers together can help. Um, they're doing a month long tournament this year. I think the registration is still open. Uh, there's no tournament capacity. Uh, yeah, you may sign up during the duration of the tournament. You just make sure it's before April 28th at 9 PM. Cause I think that's probably where the cutoff, yeah, the cutoff mm-hmm. is April 1st to, uh, to April 30th. Um, so it's awesome, man. Twenty dollars to enter, and uh, that'll be donated to a hospital organization or family in need due to the coronavirus. The payout and rewards: the anglers that place the top six will be rewarded the opportunity to choose any hospital, organization, or family where their money winnings will go. So you're not going to win any money in this. All your money is going to go to charity. It's going to go for a good cause. So you gotta. If you were in the top six, you kind of get to choose where that money gets to be used. Uh, the minimal bass is 12 inches. Um, you can guys can find this on Tourney X. Just look up Jackson Jackson Ors Catch. That's K A T C H. Assist COVID 19, and you guys can find it. Uh, Mike Iconelli is also doing a month long tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I do believe it's to benefit um, some kind of charity, so you guys might want to check that out. I'm sure you guys follow Mike Iconelli. He's a pretty big guy in the bass fishing world, and yeah. you guys can check out his Facebook, and he's got all kinds of information on there about it. Definitely good cause, man. I mean, everybody's struggling with the coronavirus, and you know, like I was supposed to go back to work on Monday, April 6th, and my boss yeah. calls me Friday. It says, Chris, it's crazy times. We're going to have to keep you off till May May 1st. So oh, yeah. I got the whole month off. I got the whole month of fish this spring fling and try to put a, a decent limit up on the board, man. So. Oh, yep. The same here. It's supposed to go back tomorrow or, well, when this comes out today. And uh, that uh, ended up just having getting called the other day and saying that I'm off till April 16th now. So I got another two weeks off. Man, we need decent vision, Christian. <laughs> oh, we will. We will for sure. We're heading up to Rocky Fork in the morning. I think I'm going to uh, meet another friend up there. and Okay. We're going to check it out. You're welcome to join us. And, uh, <laughs> All right. I think you had some plans for Tuesday. I might come up there and fish with you Tuesday. And yep. We'll see what happens, man. You know, yeah, I thought about sure. going to AEP, thought about going to Tycoon, thought about... Yep. Maybe I should keep some other ideas to myself, but <laughs> this is a tournament. Some of my listeners are in the spring fling, so good yeah. luck to everybody competing. Good luck to everybody, man. Get out there and practice social distancing on the water. Be safe. Wear your life jackets. Um, practice taking pictures. Um, you know, that's something that you came up to me. I remember when you caught that big 18, the big 18 uh-huh. and a half. 
you were hollering for me. You actually called me on the phone, had me come yeah. over from across the lake to make sure that <laughs> you were uh, cementing that fish right. Yeah. And you did a good job, man, laying it flat on the board. You got to make sure its its nose is bumped up to the board. Mm-hmm. You got to make sure that mouth is closed. You can't have your fingers or your hand over the gill plate or the tail. Uh, you can put your hand in the center of the fish to, to kind of keep his mouth closed because I know some of these bass got got jack jaw where they can't close yeah. their mouth real good and almost like their their mouth constantly hangs open you actually got to push put a little bit of pressure on that bass to close his mouth yeah. uh, make sure your identifiers are clearly clearly seen um if it's sunny make sure that the glare it's not glaring in the picture that'll you know brighten or that'll either cover numbers on your catch board or your bass or your hog trough or they'll cover numbers on your identifier Mm-hmm. So just a few things to watch out for, guys. Make sure them life jackets are buckled up. Make sure they're zipped up. Um, you know, just just be safe out there on the water and enjoy yourselves. Uh, I know the next week or so, the, the weather's really not looking the, the greatest, but I'm still going to get out and weather it, man, do some fishing. And yep. hopefully we'll have a good time, man. Oh, so everybody sure. stay. I'm sorry, what would you say? I said for sure. Oh, no, 100%. So everybody stay tuned for the next segment. We got our interview with Kurt Smith, and we're going to pick his brain a little bit, maybe try to sharpen our skills when it comes to fishing these early spring spring tournaments, spring days. So stay tuned, guys. Here we go. All right, we have Kurt Smith on. How's it going, man? Me and Christian here. Doing a lot of fishing, and uh, we wanted to bring you on, pick your brain a little bit. Uh, I've been kind of struggling a little bit, and I guess everybody's been struggling this time of year. And we wanted to get into uh, the ins and outs of uh, pre-spawn bass fishing. How you doing tonight, Kurt? Good, man. How you guys doing? Oh, pretty good, man. How's it going, Christian? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Just tired of, uh, just tired because of how much I've been out lately. But other than that, good. That's a good yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a good thing man i've been fishing the last what four or five days last four or five days i've been fishing and uh you know it's been i've been struggling a little bit i have to say um pre-spawn yep. fishing i always do really bad in april and uh that's kind of one of why i want to do the podcast tonight i know our last episode we had mike elsie on and we kind of talked about muddy water pre-spawn fishing so I just wanted to talk to the band, Kurt. Uh, really, very, really knowledgeable guy. Anybody listening knows that. Um, he's got a YouTube channel. He, he, he always released a lot of good videos, a lot of education. I always kind of test it on Facebook sometimes for tips, advice, questions, and stuff. We always help him out. So I appreciate that. So we wanted to get into it, man, the pre-spawn bass fishing thing, man. And like we were talking before the podcast, um, kind of think that they're they're not really at the pre-spawn level yet here in ohio and southwest ohio because we have the our temperatures are still like 50 degrees the water temperature is uh and it's shooting up to 60 during the day at what temperature at what water temperature what time of the year do you really think the spawn the pre-spawn actually starts well you got to clarify what pre-spawn is. You know, when I say pre-spawn, I usually mean they've moved up shallow, maybe somewhere on beds, but a bunch of them are roaming around and eating, right? That's what I mean by pre-spawn. And, and you know, some people mean different things because everything's pre-spawn until they spawn. But, you know, so and, and right now, I don't think they're, you know, I think it's a few of shallow. There's always the early runners that will come up and they'll hang out shallow. There's always a couple fish shallow, and I think you can find some good ones up shallow. Like you were saying, you caught a good one in a brush pile that was pretty shallow. Mm. There's always going to be some of those guys coming up, but I think right now with the water temps that they're not even coming up to the coves. They're not even getting ready to move up. They're still moving around on their main, out in the main lake more and out in the deeper areas more, and on the bigger structure, like the more the main lake points. I think they're going to be more out in those places right now. Oh, 100%, man. That's that's good information. Because I've been fishing, like I told you, 
Well, I fished a farm pond earlier this week, just for fun. Before the spring fling started, uh, we're all doing the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail spring fling right now. Um, it's an online, month-long online spring tournament. And uh, I was fishing this farm pond, and it's imagine a big bowl, like a normal farm pond, kind of round. But it's got two runs that come off of it, um, almost like coves. Uh, one run runs off of about 20 foot. One run comes out of probably 10, 11 foot. And all the bass I caught that day were right there on the mouths of those coves in the pond. Yeah, yeah. And that's what got me thinking that, well, maybe the bass on the main lakes are in the same situation, that they're on those their secondary points right in the mouth of coves. When do you think they start to move into that period? Um, You know, it, it's, it's coming up here soon. It's when we start getting that 60-degree range in the water. And I don't mean the warmest water you find. I mean like the general lake temperature being 60 degrees. Because, you know, you get shallow on a sunny day where it's only a foot deep or two feet deep, you're going to find really warm water. But you want to find it where the lake temperature comes up to about that. And, uh, you know, the clearer the better, too. Because if the water clip isn't too stained, I think that also helps speeds them up a little bit, too. Sure. What do you think they do in the muddy water? Like a lot of our lakes right now are just really chocolate milk looking. Uh, they're getting better now that we hadn't had a whole lot of rain, but we're supposed to get a lot more rain towards the end of this week. So maybe yeah. towards the end of the week, they'll probably be all be muddy again. Um, what do you think they do in those situations? Well, you know, they glue up the structure, man. They get right on the structure, whether it's a rock, whether it's a boulder, whether it's a tree, whatever it is. And they're going to get right next to it. Like, they're going to feel it. Like, I think they get so close that they can they can sense it with their lateral line, and they feel really comfortable that something's right next to them. And they'll sit there and wait for something to ambush, you know. They'll get right next to some structure, and then they're going to wait to sense something swimming in front of them. Or hit them in the head, you know what I mean? Because if they're in a bush, you know, you flip into a bush and you hit them in the head, you know, that's going to be a reaction bite, you know. Um, yeah. Like right now, they're, you think that they're off in deeper water, um, you know, the off the points, off the main points. Um, where would they move in when the water muddies up like that, or they kind of stay out there? Uh, I think that helps put. I think the muddy water helps keep them out there. Mm. You know, they don't want to move up until it, it clears up to a certain level. I feel like, uh, you know, it's more temperature driven, so that. For them to move up, there's so many factors that apply to it, and they're layers, right? It's not just one thing that's going to make it happen. It's going to be a layered effect. So it's going to be the temperature is going to be right. The water clarity is going to be right. The moon phase is going to be right. The wind's going to be right. The bait fish are going to be right. These are all layers that are helping position the fish. And those are all the things you got to look at. I mean, that's the hard thing because everyone wants that simple answer, man. When I get asked these questions a lot, you know, they want the one thing. What do I look for right now? And I'm like, well, you got to look for like seven things. And then that's what's going to help you figure out where the fish are. And that even may be wrong, man, because these are wild animals still. You know what I mean? They do whatever they're going to do, you know. Um but, uh, you know, that's the things I would look for. You know, right now, I'd be looking more like at main lake stuff. And you may not even see the fish on your fish finder. You know, they might be so glued up to the bottom or sitting on the bottom. A lot of the largemouth I was catching, uh, yeah, I fish a, an old quarry near me that's a really clear quarry. And it's, it's about three weeks ahead of everywhere else. And uh, you're just now starting to see bass on beds. Just here and there. Just a few. You know what I mean? Or you're seeing a bed being made. You know what I mean? You're seeing a distinct bed. Um, you know, so I think everything else is three weeks behind that. You know, and that's a clear, and that's and that quarry stays clear all the time, or the old quarry stays clear all the time. Um, so it, it seems like um, I've seen some reports on Facebook from local water water sources that there is some bass on the beds. But I think it's you're probably too early for most of them to be up there. Like you said, there's probably a few on the bed. There's probably a few that are pre-spawn right now. Then there's probably a few, most of them are out in deeper, deeper water. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It happens in waves, too, right? The spawn and then moving up to pre-spawn and all that. That happens in waves. There's always usually a, a, a few uh, front runners, especially with the temperatures that we've had. We've had these warming trends. So during these warming trends, man, one – 
ones that are in the mood, they're up and they're doing their thing, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the other ones are still hanging out because whatever, you know, the, 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 there's not enough layers for them to move up and make it worth their while to come up. I'm actually working on doing a, a YouTube video for this whole, what we're talking about right now, pre-spawn bass and, you know, before pre-spawn, where do they hang out? Yeah. Yeah. So just, just a, my own plug right there. Look for a, <laughs> look for a YouTube seminar on this. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I would look for. Like, you know, if we went out to a lake, the first thing I would go for is I'd look for the biggest point on the lake, man, main lake point. And I would go out to that one that's sloping down mm-hmm. and that hopefully had a south facing side. And I'd go to that and I would search all over that. And if I didn't see any fish or any bait fish around, I would still throw a jig down it. <laughs> I know. So like, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I know, like, uh, me and Zach were out at Cowan Lake the other day, and we were scanning quite a bit, looking for uh, some different stuff. And we noticed that, like how you said, the main lake points, we were, uh, I mean, there's really no coves there, but there are a few points there. And I know we were on one point, and we saw structure down in, like, what was it probably, Zach, four, 12 to 14 foot? Uh, it wasn't even that deep, man. It was, like, it Maybe was six 10, or seven foot, and that structure was, like, four foot down. Yeah, and we saw fish uh, suspended right above that structure. So is that what you're talking about, like, with kind of off that main lake point? Is they're just going to be, like, well, either hugging the bottom or suspended a little bit around structure? Exactly, man. See, if you can find something on a main lake point like that, like a tree or or some crappie stuff set up, man, that's all the better because they're going to conjugate around that stuff because they're feeding. They're getting ready to feed. They're feeding now, and they're getting ready to feed. You yeah. know, I, you can catch them, you know, I was catching them on swim baits. I was catching them on moving, some moving baits, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and I went out and busted out a crankbait, you know, a deep diver or something and, and ran it past that uh, structure you guys found. I bet you'd probably eventually get a bite on it, you know? Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're, they're starting to feed up, man. When and, and if you look like, you know, Sean Skidmore just caught a, a really nice fish, a couple really nice fish the past couple of days. Yeah. Like those fish. They're fat, man. They're feeding, right? Yeah. You know, and I'm just using that as an example because that's an easy picture for people to see, you know, because he put them on Facebook. I mean, these fish are feeding right now. I mean, they're getting yep. ready to, to not eat for a while once they get on the beds. Oh, and Chris, I know, like, Christian's yeah, caught what, a fat mama, and then I've caught a fat mama, so they're, they're <laughs> nice and chunky right now. <laughs> yeah, really fat too, right? I mean, this is the best yeah. time. If, if, if you're into weighing your fish, right now is the best time to catch something, you know? <laughs> yep, that, that's actually what I was going to say, is because mine was like, it was like an 18 and a half inch fish, which is, I mean, still a decently long fish, but the stomach on it was like four inches wide. I'm like, yeah. it was super fat. It was like, when I was holding it up, it looks like a football holding it up. You're like, holy crap, like for that size of a fish, like that thing was massive, like around. Yeah, man, I, 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 I really love fishing this time of year, man. I seem to have my best success, too, right around the springtime and pre-spawn. Okay. <laughs> so what do you do when the wind, well, well, how does the wind affect the bass? Because like, you know, we went out, you know, wind is a common thing on the lake. And uh, when you have those, you know, those high freaking strong winds, and it seems like they're blowing out of the south and towards the north bank of the, the at least Cowan this week. And it seemed like the north side of Kaiser, and I was at Kaiser the other day, the wind was blowing towards um, the north bank. Mm-hmm. How do you think that affects them right now? Well, you know, that's pushing all the bait fish and stuff. So any bait fish that are coming up now, and, and you're just probably now going to start seeing shad coming to the surface that's going to help push them towards that side of the lake. And that's going to help position the fish. Anytime you get a little bit of current that helps position the fish, especially since, you know, we're talking largemouth and they're ambush predators. So they like to position themselves with current running past them. So if there's a point that comes out and you know, a submerged point and the wind's running across it on that leeward mm-hmm. side, I'd look for the fish <coughs> like that. Wow. man. And I'd look, and I and, and I'd be more apt to look for them shallow if I saw bait balls up towards the surface and wind. You know what I mean? If you're seeing bait suspended 15 feet down, I'm less likely to look shallow for them. I'm more likely to look deeper for them. Okay. Because they're relating to food. 
Yeah, I've seen a lot of shad jumping this week, uh, right at the top of the water. But not a whole lot like I do in the summertime. So probably 50-50. There's still there's some that's coming up on the top and some that are still, still schooled underwater. Very transitional time, man. Very transitional time. And it makes it hard for people to fish this time of year. A lot of times, uh, especially on lakes that are more diverse. You know what I mean? If you go to a small lake, there's only so many places the fish can go. But if you go to a bigger lake where there's a lot of places for the fish to go, it's very transitional because they're coming out of the deep. They're following the bait fish. So whatever the bait fish are doing, that's what they're doing. And then they're also, some of them are starting to think about spawn. So some of them are starting to kind of make their way towards the spawning grounds. This is all making the fish super transitional, man. That means they're on the move constantly. And you'll hear like a lot of guys talk about following creek channels and like or road beds and stuff mm-hmm. like that, coming out of deep water. Uh, for highways for fish and to fish those highways, which is a great way to, to think about it, that if you can find a pit stop on that highway, like that bush you were talking about, if you yep. can find a pit stop on that highway where the you, you know the fish are coming out of the deep, they're going to be coming up this one point, and there's a rock pile with a brush pile next to it. Man, fish those things because that's where they're going to hang out, man. That's where they're stopping and, and refueling and re-getting their energy together to make the final push up. Um, you know, find those places that are the pit stop for them, man. Like a truck, you know, I mean, that's where they conjugate. They're going to be there because the food's there, because it's a safe place to hang out. They feel comfortable because of structure, you know. Let's say it gets muddy. They can lean up against something and hang out next to something. They're going to feel a lot more comfortable doing that than they would on some barren mud flat or mud, you know, point or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's what I've learned about the bass is in the wintertime, they're in the deep stuff. Then they start using the creek channels and start moving up towards the shallower end to where they're getting ready to do their pre-spawn thing. Mm -hmm. So you think there's quite a few bass that are in those uh, little highways right now? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And like I said, man, look look for a turn in that creek channel. Look for an obstruction in the creek channel. Look for some uh, someone who sank some Christmas trees next to the creek channel or in the creek channel because those are going to be the pit stops on those freeways, man. And, it, 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 you know, is it easier to get something that hit something that's moving or to hit something that's stationary? Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. if, the fish are, if the fish have a spot that they're going to hang out on that freeway for a minute, it's better to fish those spots, than I feel, than just the open freeway section. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you, you, you'll pick some out of a, a creek channel. You know what I mean? You'll pick one or two. But if you can find the spot where they're hanging out and they're taking a break from moving, mm-hmm. you know, those are the spots that reload. So you'll be able to catch a lot of fish off that spot, no matter how many you pull off, because the, because the ones that are – constantly moving down that creek some of them are coming over and stopping for a little bit whether it's the feed or because they're tired you'll find that there's always going to be a couple spots that are pit stops along those freeways and those are the the you know this is a numbers game it's a high percentage spot that reloads you know and if you can find the right one that reloads with big fish man because the fish too now as it warms up the more it warms up the more these largemouth and stuff are going to move in uh, schools by their size as they come up to these spawning areas you're going to find that once you find like one big one spawning in an area there's going to be multiple big ones and as they move up they start schooling up by size so if you can find a pit stop on that big freeway for the big fish you know they're in the a lane or whatever you want to call it if you can find that pit stop man Wow, that's where it's at. That's where it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you can go ahead, Zach. You have a question, Christian? Yeah, you can go ahead first if you want. No, go ahead, man. <laughs> so I was just going to say, uh, so I know you're talking a lot about offshore fishing or deep water fishing with those, uh, like in those creek channels or something in the reservoirs or lakes with structure in them. Um, I know a lot of people, like I know Zach said, he kind of uh, struggles with a little bit, and I do too, with fishing offshore just because it's just not something that I've done a lot of. So it's just, I'm not comfortable with it. And I don't know exactly like what to throw other than like a deep diving crankbait or maybe possibly a jig. 
So for some of those offshore structures that you're talking about fishing, what would you suggest uh, uh, maybe a good way to get into trying to fish offshore structure like that? Well, you named two really good baits right off the bat, man. A, a jig and a deep diving crankbait are hard to beat for fishing stuff like that. Okay. Um, I, I'm a big Texas rig fan, so I always throw a Texas rig, man. I'm always going to throw a Texas rig first um, in those spots. I think Texas rig is a great way to go to um, for fishing stuff like that. Of course, you want to make it weedless because you're fishing some type of structure that you found. Um, mm-hmm. It could be a rock rock pile, a cinder block pile, an old car, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and those would be my top baits that I would throw for that type of stuff. Because you're talking that they're probably going to be 15 to 20 feet deep, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to be able to throw like a jerk bait for them or yeah. stuff like that. A, a swim bait, so, uh, you know, if you have like a three-eighths ounce or a half ounce swim bait, that's easily, you can swim them nice and slow at that depth, you know. All right, awesome. So what if you're fishing at those depths and it's muddy? Because I know jigs, you know, a lot of those Texas rigs, finesse presentations and like jigs, they don't create a lot of chatter. They don't create a lot of vibration and they're kind of harder to see in muddier water. What would you throw in a situation like that where the water is just chocolate milk, but they're deep like this? Man, you know, the strange thing is, is I I will throw the same things. Really? I will, man, because that the lateral line and how much the fish uses their lateral line is so underrated, man. So I have caught a bass that didn't have either eyeball. I have still fish get my lure, and it sure wasn't because he could see anything because he didn't have either eyeball, man. You know, and how many times have you caught a fish with one bad eye? Yeah. Yeah. Using that lateral line to an amazing amount, especially in Ohio, dude. Think about how 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 long it's been muddy here. Those fish, can't, those, they they have to eat every couple days. They can't they can't wait a week to eat. You know what I mean? They're, they're eating all the time, especially as that water temperature rises. They're constantly eating. Um, so I'll throw a lot of the same stuff. Now I hear what you're saying about they don't make a lot of noise, and there is something to be said about that because when the bass are aggressive enough. Throwing a deep diving crankbait that's displacing a lot of water, right? Because it has that big bill and it's mm-hmm. and back and forth and it's displacing a huge amount of water really helps the fish key in on that, man. <coughs> that's their lateral line keying in on that. And it's the same thing for when you throw like a big heavy jackhammer or a bladed bait or like the Picasso stuff. When you throw the, any of those bladed baits down there, like the shockwave, um, you know, I think they're. It is making a lot of noise, but I think they're more reacting to that big blade displacing water in muddy places. That kind of leads into my next question, too, that I had is uh, so we're talking about those. You're talking about those crankbaits a little bit when displacing water. Um, Now, one thing that I've always heard is in these colder waters, you want to throw more of a flat side um, deep diving crank because it's like a little bit more lackadaisical of a wobble to it down in those waters so do you think that makes a big effect or do you think the uh regular deep diver was going to go down displace more water and maybe cause more disruption for fish to come up and check out man i, I really like the flat-sided blade uh crankbaits and i think and i think the reason they work better in colder water most of them are designed to be fished slower right so that's one thing to them and when they move i think because they are flat-sided that they're making a different presentation to the fish they're just placing, they're just pushing water off to the side and making that weird vibration that the fish can hone in on okay you know, i think that once we start throwing like square bills like you know like kvd 1.5s 2.5s and you get into that type of fishing i think a lot more of it's sight you're getting that reaction you're making that noise it's displacing <laughs> but you're not having to like finesse them out to eat you know because you know let's yeah. face it 50 degree water, you got to really kind of encourage those fish to eat. Yeah. You know? they're, they're not coming up and chasing stuff real far to eat it. You know, you really got to finesse them up a little bit. Um, yep. and, and I, you know, and the, those flat sided crankbaits can be deadly, man, in, in, in the pre spawn too. You know, like those pH lures. I don't know if you guys seen those, man. Look them up. They make this these killer balsa wood flat sided crankbaits and they run like four to 10 feet and man, they 
I just love those things, man. Until the water gets to be about 70, I just love those things. They're just killer, yeah. man. Wow. So we'll take a commercial break here and we'll be right back. I got plenty more questions for you, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> Now a word about all the awesome companies who support the Yak Legion and Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcasts. Venom Lures. Venom Lures in Lancaster, Ohio is known for their great soft plastics and terminal tackle. They have been providing quality products from right here in Ohio since 1984. Mr. Dustin Carnes is the new owner of Venom Lures, an inventor of the DK rig. It's a weedless version of the Ned rig that's taking the fishing world by storm. Check them out at VenomLures.com. Strictly Sailing Kayak. Strictly Sailing Kayak is located in Kenwood Road in Blue Ash, Ohio. They sell Hobie, New Canoe, Feel Free, Three Waters, and Johnny Boat kayaks. They've been providing high quality service to fishermen and watercraft enthusiasts since 1978. Reach out to Brian Tacey at 513-984-1907 or check them out at strictlysailinc.com. American Tackle. American Tackle, the inventors of the microwave line guide system, sells a variety of terminal tackle and fishing lures along with custom rods and accessories. You can find them at americantackle.us. Dakota Lithium Batteries. Tired of your fish finder powering down halfway through the day? Sick of replacing batteries year after year? No need to fear because Dakota Lithium is here. Dakota Lithium makes the best outdoor batteries hands down with many options and accessories to power your electronics while on your kayak or in boat. Check them out on Facebook and at dakotalithium.com. Arachnet Security System. Keep your valuables safe under the net as a giant black widow spider guards your gear. The Arachnet Security System, great for kayaks, tents, campers, and all that gear packed in the back of your truck. The Arachnet Security System can be found at arachnet.net. Real Fishing Co. Need a logo or decals for your business or YouTube channel? Custom gear with your brand's image? Check out Real Fishing Company at realfishingco.com. Steve Davidson does great work and even made the logo for Yak Legion. The Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail. The biggest kayak fishing trail in Ohio and holds fishing events all over the Buckeye State. Check out the website at buckeyekayakfishingtrail.com for event information and details. Come out and fish with us. Check out the Buckeye Kayak Fishing Podcast on Anchor.fm and all other major podcast apps. It's the official Buckeye Kayak Fishing Trail Podcast. We talk with tournament trail winners and get the juicy details on how they won. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast and all the support. You can follow Yak Legion on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at The Yak Legion Podcast. You can email us with any questions at the the Yak Legion Podcast at gmail.com. We have Yak Legion decals for sale on the Facebook page. Every decal sold goes a long way to support the podcast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will give you a shout-out on the podcast to stay, say thanks for the support. And we're back. So my next question, Kurt, how fast are you, uh, how fast is your retrieve when you're throwing these jigs out there on the deeper points, when you're throwing the, the Texas rigs? Um, you know, I tend to fish a lot slower than other people. What I consider a moderate pace, I think most people would consider a very slow pace uh, when I'm throwing stuff like that, especially in muddy water, right? We've just been talking about muddy water, so you have to give the fish a second to see that the, where the bait is. If you're fishing it really fast, you're just, you're just getting out of their sensory zone too quick, and they'll, they will lose track of it. So once you get in that sensory zone, uh, you know, what I like to do is I like to do like the slow drag and then I give it a couple quick pops real short. You know, I'm not moving the bait very much. And then I give it and I'll let it sit and then I'll like I'll kind of give it like a lackadaisical pull, drag, pop, pop, let it sit, you know, and that gives it. And I think that creates enough motion. It gets the fish interested that are around it, but you're not moving it so fast that you're getting out of the strike zone. You know, I don't know if you saw my video from... I was about to mention your video. Yeah, that's my medium speed in that video where it's taught, where it's going, where, where I'm like, how slow do you have to fish the worm? That's my medium speed. <laughs> so wow. it's, you know, uh, uh, you know, I just fish, I fish a little bit slower than a lot of guys. 
when I'm fishing that technique because it tends to produce better fish that way. Mm -hmm. So you're not afraid to throw them jigs or Texas rigs in the mud? No, not at all, man. Not at all. I'll throw it. It could be the worst chocolate milk ever, man, and I'll, I'll throw one. I might change colors. I might put a black and blue one on, or I might put an all-white one on, you know. Um, Bert likes to put pink on when it's really muddy. <laughs> I like bubblegum TRDs. Yeah, exactly, man. Pink TRDs when it's really muddy. That's not something that I would personally throw, but, I mean, he's done really well with it. And, you know, uh, chartreuse. I guess I got some stuff that's yep. really right chartreuse stuff that i'll throw um but honestly you know I, I i'm pretty quick to leave it the way the way to mimic natural stuff man i'm, I'm yep. pretty quick to mimic the bait fish to mimic the crawdad I'm, I'm 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 more that way first like if it's muddy i'm still throwing the same colors i would when it's not muddy because i'm throwing stuff that resembles bait fish dramatically right um when I throw black and blue stuff, that's what I'm falling back to. Wow. Um, what are you Texas rig? What are you using on your Texas rigs? Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the big TRD, the Turbo Crawl, both by Z-Man. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I got some other ones I like to throw too, but those are probably my two favorite to throw. Um, you know, and it depends what it depends what we're throwing at too. If I'm throwing into brush piles. I might put on some type of beaver style bait. Okay. Gotcha. So if the bass right now are, are off on the points or off in deeper water, or they're up in the channels on the creek beds and they're staging up before going up to the secondary points, at what point do you think the pre-spawn phase actually starts here in here in Ohio, southwestern Ohio? Man, right around that 60 degree mark when that when the main lake gets about 60 degrees. I feel like that the fish, and, and, and there's a lot of things that it depends on, depends on the bait fish and all these different layers that will make them move around. But I feel like it's for a lot of that temperature and the moon phase has a lot to do with it too. I, I still have, don't really know exactly why, but it does. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How much do you, do you really give to this moon phase stuff, like the fish following the moon phase? And, all that stuff. I and mean, I know some fishermen take it real seriously and some fishermen don't. Well, you know, I, I don't necessarily follow it because I don't like to have anything dictate how I'm going to fish. I like the fish to do that when I'm on the water and, and, and do it by discovery. But, I, you know, there is something to it, man. I have seen it where they there wasn't a single fish lake on the beds. And then the full moon came, and then all of a sudden it seemed like every damn fish in the lake was on a bed, like <coughs> all at once. And it was a full moon deal, man. The water temp was perfect. The fish just weren't on beds. And then the next day, every fish on the lake was on beds. And five <laughs> days later, there wasn't a single fish. You, can, you couldn't find a single fish on the beds. Wow. And it was something to do with the moon. You know, no doubt something to do with the moon. Hmm. So when you start moving into the pre-spawn phase, do you, are you typically fishing the same or do you change something up? Um, well, obviously you're changing where you're fishing. So, you know, before they're pre-spawn and they're out in the, the deeper points, you're fishing deeper. But then as I move up, I start lightening up my uh, jig head. So on my swim baits, I'll go to a quarter ounce instead of a half ounce, right? Um, mm -hmm. I'll go to like a three-eighths ounce chatter bait or a spinner bait instead of like a three quarters ounce spinner bait. Um, you know, so you're basically, I'm just basically lightening things up a lot. Um, yeah, I will ultimately change from a deep diver to a jerk bait, right? That's a perfect time to throw a jerk bait. Perfect time to throw a square bill, you know? I mean, it's mm -hmm. the perfect time. I feel like if you fish a jerk bait the right way in Ohio with really, really long pauses, really long pauses, it produces bigger and better fish. Hmm. Explain this, because I've been throwing the jerk bait a lot lately. So uh, explain like how I fish it, or yeah, how you fish it. So yeah, just you know, just obviously you just cast it out, and you know, you you just have to you kind of snap it on slack line, right? And that's what gives it the real erratic action is that that slack line. And then you want to fish the right type of rod. It can't have too stiff of a tip on it 
because you need that tip to bend a little bit to make that jerk bait do all types of crazy things. Mm -hmm. So I'll just crack it a few times on slack line and then I'll pause it. I'll crack it once and I'll pause it. And I'll crack it again. I'm going way faster than I fish it. When I'm talking right now, this is probably 10 times faster than I fish it right now. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and that's for the bigger fish, too. The bigger fish is, I just, I think they're just smarter. They've been hooked a few times, man. They don't want, you know, they know when something's moving really fast that it's not the thing to eat. You know, I just feel like that jerk bait on really long pauses, you can get the better. Well, for me personally, I've got my better fish on it this time of year. Wow. I need to fish it more. I've been fishing, playing with it here here recently, and I've always been intimidated by the jerk bait. Got to wait a little bit. They got to be shallow. You know, got to be shallowish. You know, that jerk bait doesn't go 15 feet deep. It only goes like four feet deep. And the water can't be super, super muddy. It's not as effective in super muddy water. You know, you might as well just throw a, a rubber sword when the water's super muddy. How about a chatter bait? How do you fish a chatter bait? Man, I don't know if I'm the best guy to ask that. I'm not the best chatterbait guy, fisherman, man. I, mean, I, I, I fish it like you do a spinnerbait, man. I throw it up into structure, and I'll roll it, and I'll bring it next to logs and next to branches and stuff. Yeah. But I'm not the best chatterbait guy, man. I'm, I, wouldn't take my, I wouldn't take my own chatterbait advice. <laughs> well, I've been using them a lot since last year, and I was just curious because that's kind of how the way you fish a spinner is kind of like how I've been fishing, how I fish, fish a chatterbait. Sounds like. Yeah, it seems like they're. It seems like you fish them very similar, man. That's that, that's the gist. That's the gist I get from it is that you fish them very very similar. Wow, man. So going into the pre-spawn, when they move up, where are they moving to? Are they moving up with the secondary points, like structures on the mouths of coves, like going into the shallower water? Yep, that's exactly what they're doing. So when they're moving up and they're and they're going to be feeding, so you're going to be finding them up coming up out of these creek channels, and they're going to be finding wherever the bait is around the mouth. So they may not be directly at the mouth; they might be down from the mouth a little bit, especially if there's a little flat or something. You know, if there's a ten foot it's a five-foot flat that's adjacent to a mouth. You'll find them up there. You're going to find them where the bait fish are right then. Um, and, and, and they're going to be getting closer and closer to moving up into their – because, you know, the bait fish are doing the same thing. The bait fish are moving up and getting – as it gets warmer, they're raising up too as well, and they're going into the shallows up at the same time. So you're going to – you know, wherever you find bait in pre-spawn, I feel like near creek mouths and near – not necessarily creek mouths, but, uh, you know, little pockets, bays, back areas that are protected, especially from the wind. Yeah, that's, that's where you're going to start finding them. And they'll be moving around a lot right then. That's the cool thing is that they're going to be active and that they're going to start hitting harder. They're going to start chasing baits longer and fighting harder. I mean, that's like the best time to catch them, man, because they're – they're the fattest they're going to be, you know, they're going to be the heaviest they're going to be. So if you like weighing fish, that's the time to do it. Um, and they just look the coolest, man. Who doesn't like a big fat bass? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who doesn't. If you don't, you're not listening to the right podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. So at what point do you think they move from, I'm not talking about, like we said Different schools of fish do different things. Some are going to be farther ahead. Some are going to be behind. But I'm talking the majority. When do you think of the majority moves from the pre-spawn phase to the spawn phase when they're in the shallows and they got the trenches dug? I feel like it's 60 to 70 degrees. 60 to 70 degrees? Yeah. Main lake temperature, too. Not not back in the coves because... You know, as, as we get to that time where the water is 60 to 70 degrees, we, we're having 80-degree days by then or upper 70-degrees days by then, air temperature-wise. And that's going to warm up those shallows crazy warm. You'll find 80-degree water in the shallows way before you'll find the main lake temperature. But, yeah. you know, these, these fish don't want cold nights. They don't like cold nights. So that's why you find the shallow waters being so much warmer than the main lake waters when they're spawning because they're waiting for that temperature of the water not to drop at night 
because they just don't, it pushes, I mean, you'll, it will push them off the beds. If you get a really crazy cold night with warm water and you find fish on beds, you, it will literally push them off the beds and push them into deeper water. So they're waiting for that to warm up. So a lot of times it's a little bit later in the spring than what people might think around here. Um, and again, it has to do with water clarity too. So like the, the water, if the water is better conditions, they're going to move up a little bit quicker, more closer to that 60 degree main lake temperature. You know, now if it's muddier, windy, we've had a lot of rain, the lakes are going up and down and they're going to push it off and it's going to be more towards the 70 degree water. See what I'm saying? It just mm -hmm. pushes a little bit later onto Wow. When do you think that actually is in Ohio? When is it normally year to year in your experience? Well, man, you know, Ohio is the worst for it because, man, we, we're we having an early spring this year. This is probably going to happen in April. A lot of really? times it's May. I, I remember usually I go to Tycoon every year, and there seems like they're always on the bed the first week of May. And maybe that's just that lake. But it seems like all of them. I mean, there's just little holes and trenches everywhere out there, the bass have dug. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that first couple weeks of May, I've noticed, is when it really, really hits. But you think where we've had an early spring this year, it might even start at the end of April or towards the end of April. Good. Yep. Very, very well. It really depends on what happens from here on out, you know what I mean, with the temperatures. If we keep having 50-degree days, it's going to take – it'll be May again, you know what I mean? But if it warms up like it has been – it, it could happen at the end of April, you know, very easily happen at the end. And, and here's the thing. So I've got a friend who insists that he found bluegills on the beds, right? I don't think they're bluegills on the beds, you know, but I think he found some bass beds and bass that had just started. He found a small pod of bass that had moved up, that had just started doing their thing for whatever reason, they're the front runners. But, and, but just to show you already, there's some bedding bass. Now, he's in Kentucky, a little bit farther south from us, so mm. they may be a smidge ahead down there. But uh, it just shows you that they're, it's already happening. Yeah, like we said earlier, like there's different stages. Like you said, there'll be some basses, some one bass somewhere in Ohio that's on the bed right now. And then there's some that are pre-spawn. Then there's what you thought the majority of them would be in deeper water still right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's where I'm finding them. That's where I'm seeing them. I mean, you know. What do you think's better this time of year, the lake, river, or ponds? Um, what do you think heats up first? I guess that's uh, the ponds are a little that's a little obvious because the pond will probably heat up first. But what do you think ver rivers versus lakes? What do you think turns on first? Well, around here, I think that you can go fish the GMR. If we're talking black bass, yeah, you can go fish the GMR, the the Little Miami River, um, the Scioto, the Whitewater, or any of those things, and catch some good smallmouth right now. Because now smallmouth spawn a little bit quicker and cooler temperatures than largemouth. So they're already in their pre-spawn modes. They're already up shallow. And I can't tell you from personal experience, all I think I can tell you is my Facebook friends that are catching them. And I was asking them where they were catching them, like not the location, but were they deep? Were they chasing baits? I was just getting to get a feel for what was happening with the rivers. And, you know, out of all seven of them, they all said that they were catching them uh, full of eggs, ready to pre-spawn. They were up shallow chasing baits. Yeah, Every I would, one of them. I would uh, agree with that. I was actually just out today off of a uh, – I was on the kayak up on a little finger off of the uh, Stillwater um, River up in Covington, Ohio. And the way me and my buddy were catching them, all of them were up against wood, up shallow, or kind of in shallow current water. And then we were just throwing spinners up on them, pulling them in, and they were full of eggs. It looked like they could spawn at any time. I love it, man. See, right there is just more evidence that the, the rivers are setting up quicker than the lakes around here. Mm -hmm. Wow. Man, I, I appreciate and answering all our questions. I know we had quite a few for you. Um, it's always good to talk to you, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, it's always fun have, being on the show. Thanks for having me on. It's always an honor, man. 
Oh, definitely. Uh, you got a story for us, man? We can't end the bag yak legion without a fishing story. You got a crazy one from here recently? Uh, a crazy fishing story? Uh, goofy one, sad, interesting. Uh, I see you? a beaver. I saw beaver Kaiser yesterday. It was getting a little, <laughs> too, a little too close for comfort, man. He kept coming out of the water, and he was looking at me. And I'm like, hey, Mr. Beaver. If you're cool, I'm cool. I'll leave you alone. I don't have my trap today. And uh, then he went underwater. And I was like, oh, crap. I can't see where he's at now. And he was probably 20 foot off the front of my kayak when he was came up and looked at me. So I was just a little nervous fishing on that side of the lake. Uh, you never know. Them beavers get territorial, man. And they've been known to attack kayakers and stuff. And I've never had any problems with beavers myself. But you just never know with them. <laughs> Especially when you a big sucker. That's a great story right there. <laughs> yeah, here's another one. Here's another one from Kaiser Lake. So I'm going, I'm going around this bend, and I, what I think I see in the distance is this huge white trash bag full of trash, and it was up on the bank. And I'm like, man, that sucks. I hate seeing that when I come to a lake. I was kind of cussing it a little bit, but <laughs> as I got closer and closer, I realized it wasn't a bag. It's a freaking swan, man. And this thing, have you ever seen a swan in real life? I like saw that swan yesterday. The size of a Canadian goose. They are like three times the size of Canadian goose. They are huge. I thought it was a trash. Like somebody threw their trash on the bank, man. It was a giant freaking swan, man. They're and they get territorial too. Those swans get territorial too. Well, I was fishing with Melissa Keg, and she said uh, she'd protect me from the swan if I'd protect her from snapping turtles. So that's the deal. <laughs> She'll fight the swan away, and I'll fight any snapping turtles away. <laughs> That's a good deal right there. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. There's my daughter on the other side of the door saying, Daddy, we're home. <laughs> so you got no stories before us real quick? Man, I'm trying to think of a good funny story. I just don't have a funny story right now, man. I, I, I just don't have a funny one for you. That's all good. <laughs> I told a couple interesting ones at least. So, uh, do you have any shout outs? You want to go over your sponsors, your pro staff, do all your duties? Yeah, man. Uh, thanks. Uh, I want to Hobie, check out Hobie kayaks. They make the best kayaks on the market. Flip up fins right now are just amazing. Mm -hmm. Strictly Sail in Cincinnati, Ohio. Check those guys out. They got the Hobie kayaks, they got all your other kayaks, they got all your kayak accessories. Fishing online, check those guys out for all your lure and tackle needs. That's a super fast shipping, family-owned, small business, great people. Uh, Torquedo, I used them today massively for my fishing, and it was great to have my Torquedo today. Um, catch boards, Yak Attack, Never Lost, uh, Never Lost. Uh, I'm trying to think of my. I'm always, I always forget somebody. Picasso <laughs> Lures, isn't that one of yours? Uh, but yeah, Picasso Lures. Thank you. That was the one. <laughs> and I, and again, I was using their stuff today. You know what I mean? I can't. I can't do my. I can't do my gig without any of these people, man. And they're. Uh, they all give back to the kayak fishing scene. So if you can give those guys a shout out and and uh, you know give them some purchases. Oh, definitely, them. man. Definitely. So, real quick, tournament plans, man. What's your next tournament? If there's going to even be one from the COVID-19. Well, there'll they'll be one. There'll be one. Uh, I'm hoping that the next Hobie event's going to go down on Erie, Pennsylvania in May. Um, that's the next one I'm planning to do in person. Um, and, you know, I might do a couple. Of the, there's, there's a couple different kayak groups in Kentucky now. And I might go down and do some of theirs. They got one on Green River Lake this this coming up weekend. They got one at Cedar Creek Lake. They got one at Cumberland Lake. Um, so between the two of them, we got some events coming up. But I might I might hit those. I don't know, man. It really depends on what happens with all this craziness that's going on. Yeah, it's crazy, all right, man. I was supposed to go back to work April 6th. I was supposed to go back work Monday. My boss calls me. Uh, Friday and says, nope, you don't come back to work till May 2nd or May 1st. 
And I'm like, holy crap, I got the whole month off. I get to save all my PTO. They're paying me, what, 30 hours a week, which kind of sucks. I'm not getting my full 40. But you got to look at, like, yes, I'm not paying for childcare right now. I'm not paying for gas. I drive from Batavia to Cincinnati every day for work. It evens out, you know. I'm yeah. just, I can survive for <laughs> 30 hours a week right now. Yeah. But it's hard for a lot of people, man. There's a lot of people that are, you know, unemployed, that lost their jobs, and, you know, are – Really feel bad for him, man. Really feel bad. And definitely check out the segments that me and Christian talked about in the beginning of the podcast. Um, uh, Jackson Orr has an event. And then uh, Mike uh, Iconelli has an event going on. Kind of charities for the COVID-19. And yeah. uh, I thank everybody for listening. Thanks again. Stay tuned for the next segment. We're going to go over um, public waters of the week. We didn't get to last week. We kind of ran out of time. So uh, hope you guys enjoy. And tight lines. And now for Yak Legion's public waters of the week. This week we're going to talk about Fallsville Wildlife Area located outside of Hillsboro. Um, it's on Route 73. The 1,382-acre wildlife area is almost 50% meadow and grain crops. About 20% of the area is a mixture of shrubs, trees, grasses, and forbs. And almost 30% is woodland. Six shallow ponds are located in this area. A brief history. The initial purchase of the land for uh, Fallsville began in 1957 because the area is in a productive agricultural section of Highland County. It has been managed primarily for species of wildlife associated with farmland. Wildlife management to improve habitat has included development of crop rotations and field sizes to provide food and cover for upland wildlife. Wildlife habitat has been enhanced by planting trees and shrubs to establish field dividers, improving existence fence existing fence rows through selective cutting and protecting and improving woodlands. Um, they say there's a good population of bass and bluegill in the ponds, cottontail rabbits, ring-necked fe ring pheasants, bobwhite quail, squirrels, woodchuck, white-tailed deer, the primary species. Um, there's decent for waterfowl, mainly during migration, uh, common fur bears or raccoon, possums, muskrat, mink, weasel, skunk, red and gray foxes. It's an awesome area. Great for fishing, great for hunting. Uh, there's a South Fallsville as well. Um, there's a eight acre lake on the South part of Fallsville. Um, let's see, it's four miles north of Hillsborough, located between West Lane and Carytown Road, and approximately 1.5 miles south of Fallsville Wildlife Area Headquarters. Um, this is a 370-acre wildlife area. It's a combination of fields, rolling hills, pine stands, and hardwoods. A beautiful 8-acre lake is located in the center. Uh, the lake is 29 feet at its deepest point with an average depth of 13 to 14 feet. Um, they began this purchase, um, began management of this property in 2003, so fairly recent. The primary purpose of the area is public hunting and fishing, wildlife viewing and hiking, as well as habitat management and wildlife research. Um, let's see, recreational activities again. They got a big eight acre lake you can fish for bluegill, uh, largemouth. Uh, they say it's excellent fishing. So um, the, it's a catch and release only uh, that ensures quality fishing for um, generations to come. So uh, yeah, check out Fallsville's guys. Don't um, you know? Don't mark these wildlife areas off your list yet because there could be some good fishing in some of these spots, uh, good hunting as well. A little bit of folklore on the area. Ohio Folklore just did an episode not too long ago about Fallsville. Apparently, there's legends of a Native American chief. Um, he was hunted by a gang of thieves. He was traveling through the area that is now Fallsville. Um, legend says that uh, he buried his treasure that he was bringing back to his tribe um, when he found out these thieves were following him. So he buried his treasure and the thieves caught up to him. And they killed him. They beat him to death trying to get the information on where his treasure was. So, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, I'm on a website here. It's 
Highland County Ghosts and Hauntings. Ooh. And uh, it tells the legend here. And the legend tells that each year on Christmas Eve, the ghost of a Native American would show up on the front porch of the Clouser family home and try desperately to communicate with them. It was thought that the ghost was that of a Native Indian who had been murdered on the lush mixture of woods and field near Fallsville long before the little town came into existence. It was rumored he had been followed by thieves, but before he was killed, he buried his treasure somewhere near where the town of Fallsville would later stand. The Clousers came to believe the Shawnee was trying to tell them where his treasure was buried, yet they can never figure out from his hand signals what he was saying. Uh, it's crazy, man. That's I don't, I don't put a whole lot into these stories. I did a little bit of research on the Clousers and uh, Ohio folklore. Did a little research on them, and they seem to be uh, two sisters that made up a lot of stories. So it's kind of you got to take this with a grain of salt. I find folklore interesting, at least at least some of these area folklores. I always like to learn the histories and every little thing like that but well i hope you guys you know uh, appreciate the podcast and i appreciate everybody that listens i thank everybody and uh, tight lines and good luck